Heavenly Father, we love You, and we have come here uh, knowing that You desire to meet with us. And so we come expectantly, Lord. We have come to give You praise. We have come to sit at Your feet. And now, Lord, I pray that You would speak to us as we consider different Scriptures and how it applies to uh, our church, this local assembly of believers, how we worship together, how we serve together, um, how we fellowship together. I pray it would all be biblically informed, and I pray that you would bless the study today as we consider what makes Calvary Chapel unique or distinct, those things that we hold as special and important. I pray that this would be a blessing to us all and that we would all be encouraged, and I pray that a a word would go forth today for the heart in here that is broken, broken, for the heart that is heavy and Uh, needy, Lord, I pray, God, that You would minister in this place. And for any of us who need to be challenged or whatever the case may be, Lord, I pray that Your Spirit would have its way in this place. I pray that You would speak through me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. so let me just say this. This is our third week in the Calvary Distinctives. Next week will be our last. Uh, I'd hoped to do it in two. Two turned into four, and that's fine. Um... I just want to remind you guys, this is nothing new. This is what we have always done. As Cornerstone Ministries, Napa Valley, we were still a Calvary Chapel affiliate. We just didn't have the name. And these are things that we have embraced all along. So this is nothing new. And I don't want to say that we haven't done these things and now it's time to get back to the basics. It's just a reminder. I think there are a number of people who are here now who don't know much about Calvary Chapel or the history of it or the things that we embrace. And for some of us uh, who do, I think it's just a good reminder. I know that I have been encouraged. I've been refreshed as I have worked my way through each one of these distinctives and kind of studied it afresh for myself. It's been so good. And so I just wanted to make that note as we move into it. And so I'm going to just read this list off here at the top of your notes. And then uh, I'll read up to what we're going to be covering today. So we talked about the centrality of Christ, grace, love, the Scriptures, Doctrine, the Holy Spirit, the Rapture, Balance, Atmosphere, and today we're going to be looking at Worship, Children's Ministry, Giving, and Membership. So those are the four that we're going to talk about, and I'll probably hit on Worship and Giving more than the other two. The other two are pretty simple, pretty straightforward. The worship and, and giving are, are really complex. There's so much that I could say, guys. I could really make multiple sermons out of just the one, the one topic. So this is not an exhaustive study, as I've said each week, and I just want to remind you of that. There's so much more that could be said about these things, but I just want to put it back in front of you that these things are important to us and, and why we count them as important, and that from the Scriptures. So, worship. In your notes, you'll notice I have John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. It says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And then I also included 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 33 and 40. It says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, let all things be done decently and in order. So I want to talk a little bit about worship, what it is, what it is not, how we engage here at Calvary Chapel. First and foremost, let me say worship is a lifestyle. It is not limited to music. It's so much more than that. And we refer to this time, the time of music here as worship, right? But worship is an everyday, all-day kind of a thing. That, that really should be our identity. I am a worshiper of the living God. I am a worshiper of Jesus Christ, and I worship Him when I obey His Word. I worship Him when I get up in the morning and I pray and I, I sit before the Word and I, I read. That's, that's worship. Uh, there are so many different ways in which we worship the Lord as we honor His name and as we share Him with other people. And... Um, So many different ways, as I said. But singing is one very special way in which we are able to express a heart of worship. And so I think it's it's better to refer to that as a time of praise because it's it's much more, uh, worship is much more than just singing. But we gather together first and foremost to praise the Lord on Sunday mornings and, and Wednesday nights. 
when we gather together. And the Scriptures speak very clearly about what our worship ought to be like. And I just read the verse in John. And there are two things that Jesus says. It has to be according to truth, and it has to be in spirit. We worship in spirit, and we worship in truth. So, what does it mean that it must be in spirit? This doesn't necessarily mean that it's a a Holy Spirit-inspired thing, though we believe that it is. We believe that it has to be from the heart. Worshiping God, true worship, true praise comes from the heart. It's not mechanical. It's not obligatory. We don't give it because we have to. It's not something that our arm is being twisted and, and it's an obligation that is placed on us. It's the desire of our hearts. It is the, the overflow of our hearts to sing to God and to give worth, to ascribe worth to His name and, and glory and honor. Amen? And so it must be genuine. It must be sincere. And that is so important. God is not pleased when we're just pretending. God set forth in the Old Testament all kinds of rituals and and sacrifices that the people were to honor and observe, but it still had to come from a heart of worship. God did not care about their sacrifices and their offerings if it didn't come from the heart. In fact, God was disgusted by it. It was repulsive to, to God. So, We want to be a church that is a worshiping church, a praising church, and we do it from the heart because we love God, because we know who God is, because we have experienced the kindness and the goodness of God in sending His Son, because we walk in the grace of God and the Spirit of God. It comes naturally for us to want to praise God and worship God. And so worship has always been important in Calvary Chapel. As an unbeliever, I had only been exposed to the more traditional style of church younger in my life, earlier on in my life, I should say. And so the hymns, the organ, all that, and some people really love that, and it can be really beautiful. But it never really did it for me. And when I came to Christ um, at the age of 21, I, I came to Calvary Chapel. That was the first church that I really went to as a believer, and it was also very new to me, the style of music and worship. And at first... I had a really hard time with it just because I, you know, I loved secular music and, and metal in particular. And, and it, it took me a while for the music, but man, it got a hold of me. And I, I remember as the songs started getting kind of catchy and I would catch myself kind of singing to it, uh, even on the radio, um, outside of church. Um, but as I began to grow in my relationship with the Lord, my appreciation for the music itself and the truth of what I was singing about connected. And all of a sudden I began to pour out praise to God and I began to experience this wonderful gift of praise and worship that the Lord has given to His church. And so as I said, it comes from the heart, but I also hit on the fact that it has to be according to truth. It's not enough for it to just be sincere. It's not enough for it to just be genuine. It has to be according to truth. We worship the way God has set forth for us to worship. First and foremost, that is through His Son. You cannot approach God, you cannot come to God outside of His Son, Jesus Christ. Any worship outside of that will not be accepted, and the Scriptures are clear on that. And so we have to understand that sincerity in and of itself will not get us there. People are sincerely deceived, sincerely wrong. And so we have to understand that truth is critical. And so God has made it very clear how we are to approach Him. First and foremost, that is in His Son. And if you look at the Old Testament, man, God was deadly serious about worship. There were times where people fell over dead because they didn't worship God the way that He set forth. And so it's something that He has always taken very seriously. And I'm thankful that we don't live in that now. We don't have that kind of fear. Um, There's much more freedom and um, we can come to the Lord without the fear of torment. Perfect love casts out all fear. Amen? But we must worship. Our worship must be truth-centered. When we sing, when we praise, we want what we say and what we're proclaiming, what we're ascribing to God to be truth. Okay, so we worship within the the confines of what God has set forth, but we worship Him according to truth for the right reasons. And it must be truth-driven. We are compelled to worship because of the truth. It's the truth that is why we celebrate. That is why we rejoice. That is what propels us forward 
is the truth of who God is and what God has done. Because so often, guys, can we just agree, we don't feel like praising. We may come in here and we're just not feeling it. We love the Lord sincerely and genuinely, but we're just not feeling it. But the truth is the truth no matter what. And we can always sing because the truth doesn't change. And so the way that we feel changes, but God does not change. He's always been the same. He always will be. And the truth is the truth. And because of that, we can always praise the Lord. We can always sing to Him. We can always worship Him. Right? And so that is, uh, it's always been big for us. Hey, God is the object of our worship. You guys, this is so important. We live in a day and an age where, where a lot of people do not worship God for God. They worship because it makes them feel good. We want a lift emotionally. And so that's what people are after. They may really love God and have a, a sweet time of fellowship. But if that worship doesn't give them some sort of an emotional high or lift, they'll go elsewhere. They'll go where they'll get it. But see, that's the, the problem then is, is I'm the object. It's all about me. It's about me getting a lift instead of lifting the name of God on high. And so God is the object of our worship, not ourselves. Be careful. It's very subtle. It can be very subtle. When you're here, when you come, are you praising the Lord? Are you exalting Him? Are you honoring Him because He is worthy of it? It's just something to consider. What's so cool about this, guys, is God is seeking such. God is seeking that we would worship Him. And that's really cool. We have the confidence when we come here that God desires to meet with us. God is seeking that we would worship Him in spirit and truth. Do we live like that? Do we show up as though we really believe that God is here and He desires to meet with us? And so we have come deliberately. We have come expectantly to meet with Him. That is so cool. So, we are contemporary in our worship. That's nothing new. You all know that. We have drums and guitars and, and bass and we're casual in our atmosphere and there's freedom to, to stand or sit or kneel. And, and that is our desire, that you can be free, that you can be comfortable, that there's no distraction, however you feel led to worship. That is open to you to a degree because it can get really chaotic and I've seen this and it can that's why I had this verse let things be done decently and in order we want to be free and we want to have the uh, the ability to express a heart of, of gratitude and that looks different for different people but things must be done decently and in order and we don't want to be a distraction to other people's worship so that's that's the line that we try to walk you know for me personally I worship best sitting down you know, and um, for some people, they worship best standing up. And for some people, they like to get down on, on their knees. And I've, I've seen all kinds of things. And that's all well and fine. We're free to worship the Lord how we feel or how we, you know, sense is best for us as long as it's not a distraction. I will say Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, the first Calvary Chapel, they used to be much more conservative to this end. Um, when the worship leader said that everyone was to, to be seated, nobody was allowed to stand up. And if one random person stood up, then an usher would actually escort them out if they weren't willing to be seated. Uh, because, you know, Pastor Chuck, the, guy, the founder of this whole movement, he came out of a very charismatic church, and he saw a lot of abuses and things that ought not to be. So he really went way more to the other extreme. That has changed over the years. That is one distinctive out of all of them that has really loosened up. If you read the book Calvary Chapel Distinctives that, that Pastor Chuck wrote, he actually hits on that. I mean, it really frustrated him when people would, would stand up. He was concerned it was a distraction, you know. But that was one that has, has changed. He relaxed on over the years. There's a funny story, at least I think it's funny. It's pretty extreme. Um, he was at a conference center one uh, years ago, and there was a guy on the front row that was really making a scene in worship. I mean, he was going over the top and it was a real problem and it just kept happening and happening so finally he decided I'm going to sit behind this guy and so he did and what worship was happening the guy was getting ready to launch up out of his seat and he just reached over and grabbed his shoulders and shoved him back down on the chair and I thought man that is hardcore like I, I could not do that but that was how you know Pastor Chuck was but you know praise the Lord he kind of loosened up over the years and and that's how it is it's a relaxed atmosphere and people are free to worship the Lord and 
I would encourage people to be more expressive because we have much to be grateful for, and we want people to we want uh, people to see that. You know, when they come in, wow, these people really love the Lord. They're excited about the Lord, and they're expressing themselves. You know. So that is it in a nutshell. There's so much more that I, I could say about all of that, but um, we believe that worship is important and we want to be worshipers. All right, moving on. Children's ministry. Our approach to children's ministry. Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 15, there in your notes, it says, Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the children come to me, and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them, and he departed from there. Children were very important to Jesus. That much is obvious. Jesus loved the children. And so we take it very seriously, caring for the little ones, ministering to them, being a blessing to them. And we want church to be a place that the children want to be. Right? We want church to be a place where children can come and really learn, really learn at an age-appropriate level. And I believe that it's best for children, this is really the Calvary Chapel view, it's best for children to be in an age-appropriate setting. And so it's always been our request that children be in the children's ministry. It's hard for a kid to sit in the sanctuary. And I know that there are some traditions that, that really press hard that a small child be in there with the adults. And I understand that. It makes sense to me. But, I mean, I heard one pastor say, you are fighting against God when you try to do that with a kid because they are not wired to learn that way. They learn through exploration and they're, they're very vocal and they're excited. And I remember going to church at a very young age and sitting in the sanctuary. It was awful. I hated it. And I was a distraction the whole time to my grandparents. And I can vaguely remember that, but they spent most of their time just uh, time trying to keep me at bay. So they're not learning anything. Uh, I'm certainly not learning anything. It was just a terrible experience. And so uh, knowing that, uh, we want church to be a place where children can be excited to come. And so we, we really have a children's ministry that is geared to be just that. But beyond that, I would say that you know the, there are just things in the Bible that I would say most parents are not ready for their children to hear. I mean, if you've read through the Bible, it doesn't take long. Just get in Genesis. It won't take you long at all before you're like, yikes, you know. And that's something that's always scared me is, you know, I'm going to have to teach some of those passages. I don't want to be up here blushing like crazy. I mean, there is some stuff that is just hard to deal with in the Bible, but it's important. It's there. We need to work through those things. And it's, it's hard when there are small children in here, right? And so we want the children to be in a safe environment where they can obviously learn at an age-appropriate level, but so that we can talk about real things, real issues that the Bible addresses unapologetically uh, in, a, in a safe environment as well. And so that's always been the stance of Calvary Chapel and some churches to this day, they will absolutely prohibit children from being in the sanctuary. They just take that stance. Even if the, the parents get offended and want to leave, they'll, they'll let them. A lot, of, a lot of Calvaries won't do that. A lot of Calvaries are not willing to uh, offend uh, parents or, or, or put them out, so they just will allow it. you know. And I would think that, honestly, some parents would be very appreciative of the fact that we were very careful to, to try to... Uh, set it up in such a way that they don't run into that. Because there are just certain things in the Bible that are, are not uh, suited for small children. And so that's, that's kind of our stance. We love the children. Uh, Jesus loved the children. We want to minister to them, encourage them, bless them. But also we want them to be in a safe place so that we can talk about adult things. So that's, that's our stance there. Next, we're going to talk about giving. Again, this was one, as I said earlier, that we could do several, several messages on. And um, it's not my intention to fully exhaust this. And so, uh, just kind of hit some high points here. So I just want to share with you a couple of scriptures from the New Testament. Let me just give you a little backdrop to these scriptures real quick. There was a famine in Jerusalem, and as Paul was going on his missionary journeys, he was encouraging the other churches to put money into a pool that he could take and give to the church in Jerusalem because they were in desperate times and they had great needs. So the church abroad came together to meet this need. 
And so Paul, when he was encouraging the churches to give, this was how he encouraged them. 2 Corinthians 8, there he says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So in the latter verse, Paul is really describing how one ought to give. In the, the first verses there I share with you, he was actually talking about the demonstration of how these Christians gave. And he really, he kind of laid out what was so spectacular about their attitude in giving. Um, he says that they gave according to their ability, they gave beyond their ability, and they were freely willing to do so. In fact, they really urged Paul that he would receive this gift in the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. That is to say, they wanted to partner with Paul in this. This was a big deal to the church. And they really pleaded with Paul, let us fellowship with you in this. Let us partner with you. Let us be on mission with you in this, in the ministering to the saints. And Paul says, not only as we had hoped, but they gave themselves to the Lord first, then to us. So they didn't just do what the apostles said. They actually went to the Lord first and heard from God, how should they give? How should they give? And then they gave probably even above and beyond what Paul would have asked or had even thought of because they went to the Lord and the Lord led them to give generously. And then Paul says that each one ought to give as he purposes in his own heart. That's the key. We'll talk about that in a second. Not to do it grudgingly, not to do it out of necessity or compulsion or, or being forced into it because at the end of the day, God loves a cheerful giver. That's the kind of gift that God desires is from the heart of someone who gave cheerfully. That word, it means hilariously. God loves a, a hilarious giver. So having said that, let me just say this. First off, I've seen a number of different cultures and churches regarding giving. And I could say there's probably about four main uh, cultures or atmospheres that you'll see. And I've seen some extremely bad ones. I've seen one video on YouTube, you know, there's so many things you can find on YouTube, where they just had thousands and thousands of dollars scattered out on the front rows of the front of the sanctuary, and the pastor was dancing, running back and forth, dancing on the money. And everybody just thought this was great. I mean, it, it was just horrific to see. But I've been in churches where they would uh, be way too extreme about giving. I mean, that was all they talked about. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. Now, I've seen churches that do a really good job. They have a nice balance. They pass a collection plate. They have a, a time in each service where they, they talk about giving and the right reasons for giving. And, and it, it's handled well. Um, they have a nice balance. And then there are churches who don't talk about it at all. And it's almost like a taboo thing, like... You know, why are we talking about this? Kind of like how the, the older folks would treat religion and politics. You just don't talk about that, you know. And so, um, that's not good either. And I would say that we kind of fall more into that fourth category. And so that's why we've tried to, when we do the announcements each week, we just make mention of the fact, guys, we don't pass the collection plate, but if you came prepared to give to the Lord, then we have a way in which you can do that. There's a box in the back. Uh, just to kind of remind the people, it's not pressure, it's not compulsion, but we just uh, we don't want to act like it's a, a bad thing that, that we should never talk about. So having said that, this is the official stance of Calvary Chapel. Where God guides, He provides. Where God guides, He provides. If God is in it, He's going to make a way. He's going to provide. We don't have to beg. We don't have to plead. We don't have to manipulate. We don't have to come up with all kinds of schemes and, and strategies and, and things like that. Some of the stuff you hear on TV and on the radio. I mean, this thing is going under, folks. God is going bankrupt. And if you don't give right now, I mean, it's, it's over with. And people talk like that. And uh, it's, it's really unfortunate. We will not do that. If God is in this thing, He's going he's gonna to bring it through and we don't have to keep it on life support we don't have to beg and plead we don't want to put pressure on people to give i mentioned a second ago one of the churches that i had been at where they made a, a huge emphasis on giving turn with me in your bibles to malachi it's the last book of the old testament 
A lot of us in here probably know this verse. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. This is one of the most classic verses on, on giving. I heard one pastor refer to it as the oh no passage. When we're turning there, everyone in the congregation says, oh no, because we know it's coming. People often refer to this text when it comes to giving. And this is an important topic. And I've had a couple people recently ask me, why don't we talk more about giving? Why don't we put, make a bigger deal on tithing? Because there are some people who, who, this is very normal to them. It's very much a part of the Christian life. And they think we should emphasize it more than we do. And so, I just want to read this verse to you. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough to receive it. Enough room to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of the ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So that's a really clear-cut text in the Old Testament that talks about giving tithes and offerings. And God goes so far as to say, when you don't give, you're robbing from Me. But if you do give, you're going to be so blessed. The windows of heaven will open up and I will pour out such blessing that you can't even contain it. He says, test me in this. It's the only time that we see that. Test me in this. Generally, we're not supposed to test God. That's very clear. Jesus talks about that. Don't tempt the Lord your God. But God says, test me in this. Now, there are some really interesting principles that we find in this text that I do think carry over into the New Testament time, the time in which we live, the time in which we function as a church. But I will say to you that this is an Old Testament Text. This is an Old Testament idea, all right? And I just want to break that down a little bit to you. First off, people can get really legalistic with this stuff. And I, I don't use that word very often. I've been using it a little more the last couple weeks as I've been working through some of these things. Legalism is like a contractual relationship. If I do these things, then God will do these things. And that was how God functioned in the Old Testament. And really the purpose of that was to bring the people to the place where they realized we can't do these things. We can't do these things. What are we going to do? We need a Savior. And then the Savior came. That was the purpose of the law, okay? God says, if you will, then I will. But the reality is we can't, all right? And so that was the Old Testament. And God talks about tithes and, and offerings. Um, let me just say this. I went to a church, and the first time that I ever went there, it was about 8,000 people, very large church. And my, my dad and my stepmom attended this church. So I was in from out of town, so I visited there. And if you're a first-time guest at the church, they give you a pamphlet with this verse in it. And they explain to you that your money is under a curse. And that if you don't give tithes and offerings, then God will not rebuke the, the destroyer or the devourer. And it's like, whoa, I was a new believer, but this seemed very strange to me. I didn't, uh, something did not seem right to me about that. And they said, you know what, we're going to take up the, the tithes and offerings now, and we want you to, the, the card in the pew, the envelope, put your offering in there and write a prayer request on it. Because we're going to lay all these out before the Lord and the staff, we're going to pray over these. And even in that, I'm thinking that seems like if you really have a request that you want to make to the Lord and you're going to put it on a piece of paper, you think you're going to give a skimpy offering? And it just all this stuff was hitting me and I was like, man, this is, does not seem right. And it was not right. What God was dealing with here, tithes were pretty much a taxation in the Old Testament. In order for the nation to function and operate, in order for the, the temple rituals and rites and the priesthood to go on, 
they needed provisions. So people gave of tithe. They gave their tithes, which means a tenth. So they gave that for that purpose. So it really served as more of a, a taxation. But the people had been restored back into the land after captivity. You all know about the, the Babylonian captivity. They were out of the land for 70 years. They come back. The first thing that was restored was the worship, the temple rites. Well, as time went on, the people really just neglected that. They, they kind of got away from God. They weren't giving God their best anymore. They were giving God their leftovers. And their, the, their offerings were blind and, and maimed. And uh, people were just not giving to the Lord as they ought to. So the priests were, were giving God the leftovers that the people were, were giving up to the priest. And Malachi came in to set this thing straight. He said, you guys need to get back to giving God the best. Give God the first fruits. Give Him the, the cream of the crop. Because that's what it's all about. We want to give God the very best that we have to give. So it really spoke to the heart of the matter. And he said, so often we know that in the Old Testament, when God was dealing with His people, how would he, what would He typically do to get their attention? What would be the first thing that He would, he would usually strike? Their crops, their land. They were a very an agrarian culture. And so we see that all throughout the Old Testament. And that's what he's talking about here. Opening up the windows of heaven and the rain falling and their crops producing. And what is the devourer? The devourer would be plagues, pestilence, things that would come in and destroy the crops. And so God was saying that He would prosper them agriculturally. He would bless them. He would be generous to them if they would first be generous to Him and to His priest and to the worship system that had been set up. And really the, the principle there is, do you think you can outgive God? Do you think that you can outgive God? Do you think you're going to come into God's house, God's temple, and give, and God is not going to bless that? God's not going to honor that? And so that's, that's really the idea. But people have brought this into the New Testament times and said, if you don't give God your tithes, then your money is under a curse. And I've heard people say, I can't afford not to tithe. I do not like that. I, you can't afford not to tithe. What are you saying? That God's going to get you? God is some sort of a cosmic mob, mobster, mob boss that's going to get his money out of you one way or the other? Uh, and so, yes, we believe that we ought to give. And I want to talk about that. But it's not out of some sort of Old Testament legalistic uh, idea. It's, not, it's, it's none of that, guys. Now, in the Old Testament, if you want to be real strict about this, there were multiple tithes. There were actually three. And so people were giving actually closer to 25 to 30% of their income. So if you really want to be a stickler about tithing, well, it's more like 30%. And so a lot of people don't even realize when they want to keep the law, they don't realize just how deep that actually goes. And so we're, we're not about tithes. If you hear us use the word tithe in here, it's not intentional because we don't believe that tithe is a New Testament thing, but we do believe in giving to the Lord, giving offerings. And we see that in the Old Testament. People gave tithes and people gave offerings. So there was that which was re required of them, but then there was that which they gave above and beyond the, the taxation there because they wanted to worship the Lord. It was an act of worship. It was something that they gave freely above and beyond the tithe. The, uh, one of the sermons I heard from that church that I was just talking about uh, for this text here was called The Other 90%. What do you suppose he was uh, going to do with that? Well, this is what you do with the 10%, but what do you do with that 90% over there? I mean, that's, that's a lot of percent. That's a lot of percentage you could be using over here. And so it, it's, people get that twisted. So I want to talk about giving how we see how we regard giving in the New Testament. Let me just say this. The church does rely on people giving to the Lord. That much is, is true. That much is plain and clear. We know that. There's overhead. There are things that have to be paid. There are salaries. There are missionaries. And that is serious. That is a heavy weight when we understand, just for myself personally, that, that my salary comes from people's offerings to the Lord. 
That is a very heavy and a holy responsibility, that, a weight that, that I do carry on, on some level. And so it is needful, just like in the Old Testament, where for the temple to, to function and the priests to be able to do what they needed to do, they relied on the people to give. That was one of the issues that, that came up. Uh, Nehemiah addressed that. The priests were actually having to go back out into the fields and work as farmers because the people weren't giving and they weren't able to, uh, to continue on uh, serving in the temple as they needed to. And so it's very true. We do have needs here and uh, we do count on people to give. And we're so grateful because let me just say there are a lot of generous people in this church. I want to say thank you to the people here that, who take seriously giving to the Lord and investing in the church here, investing in what is happening here. Uh, I greatly appreciate that. And I will also say, you know, we don't put pressure on people to give, but when there's an urgent need, we'll make it known. You know, in Tennessee, that was the way that it was. We would have something y'all don't know about too much out here, but we had serious rainstorms, thunder and lightning storms a lot. And the, the building that we were in had holes in the ceilings, and I mean, just torrents of water were coming out. We had what we used as a baptismal, uh, like a trough, and other buckets all out in the hallway just catching this water. The ceiling was all black and, and nasty looking. And, and this is like right outside the preschool room and multiple buckets. And it's just coming down. And, and so we needed like 40 grand to fix the, the roof. It might as well have been a million dollars in this little town in the Smoky Mountains of, of Tennessee. I mean, we're all poor folks here. And and, uh, it, you know, it was just impossible. So I, I got up in the pulpit and during announcements and said, look, guys, here's the deal. You all see what, what is going on out in the hallway there. We have a legitimate need here. And so we would ask you to consider giving to, to help us to fix this. But you know what? If you don't, that's fine. We'll just keep putting buckets out there. And it was just on to the next thing. And someone came up to me afterwards and said, you know what, I really appreciate you, how you said that. We'll just put the buckets out there. We'll just keep doing that because it's not something that we got to freak out about. And there was another brother in the church who came to us, kind of a newer guy, and he said, I really think we should maybe put a thermometer up on the stage. I keep making that reference. I don't know if you all know what I'm talking about, but it's like this thermometer, and as you raise money, the, the red will rise until we get to the place where we're trying to be. And I was like, man, I don't know about that. And the pastor was like, no, we're not going to do that. And so I was appreciative of that. And uh, you know what? The Lord provided. The money came. We were able to get the roof fixed. And so when there's a legitimate need, we'll make it known. People want to know. We have generous people who want to know if there's a need. They want to know so that they can be a blessing, so that they can give. So we'll put that out there, you know. Um, and I'll just say this, guys. Here's, here's where, I, where I'm at, you know. And all the pastors in here. We have all worked full time and pastored. And if we have to do that again, we'll do that again. You know? This is what we live for to pastor, to serve, to teach. This is what we get to do. And there have been times in our lives where we did what we had to do so that we could do what we wanted to do, what we were called to do. And it's a great privilege for me uh, and for the pastors here that uh, are paid to, to be, to be, um, supported so that we can be available to you, so that we can really invest ourselves in the ministry. It's a privilege. We are so grateful for that. But at the end of the day, you know, if, if I can't get paid, man, I'm going to still be your pastor, and I'm going to work a full-time job. And if something happens, we have to move out of this building. If you'll meet me in the park, we'll meet in the park. And that's just the way, that's just the way we roll. Whatever you do, you do for the Lord. And I'm not going to twist your arm here. Um, you know, but... As I said, we are grateful for the, the, the giving that people do give. And we're going to talk about this at the end of the year. That's something that we, we by law, have to do. We have to put it out there for you guys, um, what the giving looks like and how we're using the funds that are coming in and, and so on and so forth. And so it's important to do that. So let me just say this and we'll move on. Why do we give? Why do we give? First, it's an act of faith. That is to say, I really believe that there's a God up there who will provide and take care of my needs. And I really am going to, as an act of faith, give as I have been called to give. And I'm going to give to the church, trusting that ultimately the Lord will reward that. Or the Lord will, will take care of me. He'll meet my needs. But I'm going to give. 
it's, uh, it's stewardship. When you realize that what you have is not really yours anyways. Right? It all belongs to God. And so all we're simply saying is, God, this is yours. I'm going to do with it what you would have me to do with it. And the Word says that I am to give, so I will give. It's worship. It's thanksgiving. It's worship and thanksgiving. It's, you know, when I, when I give, I will often pray and say, Lord, thank You, God. I honor You. Thank You for what You've done for me. Thank You for how You provide for me. Thank You for all the blessings that are in my life. Receive this. May this be an act of worship. May this be thanksgiving to You. And it's partnership, as I mentioned earlier. If you really believe in the mission here, if you believe in what we're doing, you want to be a part of that, then it's, it's that as well. It's giving to be on mission and partner, partnership with the body of Christ here in Napa as we seek to invest in this community and around the world. And the Bible says that when we give, we ought to do it freely. We ought to do it joyfully. We ought to do it generously. We ought to do it consistently. And it should be sacrificially. I'm running out of time, so I'm not going to go into all of that. But that's why we give and that's how we give. Alright, moving on. We'll close with this. We'll move more quickly through this one. Membership. What is our stance on membership? Romans chapter 12, verse 4 through 5. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You understand there is the universal church, the universal body of Christ. All the believers that have, all, that have been and have gone on before us and are with the Lord, the believers that are here on this earth, all around the, the world in different denominations, and those to come in the future generations, that is the universal church. We are all members of one body, the body of Christ. But then there's also the local church. There are the local gatherings, the local assemblies of believers that, that have different preferences. We, we may have different convictions in certain areas, different ways, different practical ways that we go about doing church. Those are the local assemblies. And membership for them looks different from assembly to assembly. So let me just say this. If you're a Christian, if you are born again, if you are a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus, you are a member of His church. You are a member of the body of Christ. That has happened instantly. But as far as being a member at a local assembly or congregation, it looks different from church to church. And there are some who have a very formal membership process. And whether it's for joining the church or even moving from church to church. In Tennessee, I was, had kind of was introduced to this idea, and, and they would say it's your letter. And so if you have a formal membership at a church, you have a letter with your name and information on it and a filing cabinet upstairs, probably on a computer nowadays. But if you uh, leave that church and go to another church, you have to have your letter moved. You have to move your letter. It sounds like a very strange thing to me, but that is uh, one of the ways in which they do that. And some churches are very... You really have to jump through a lot of hoops to become a formal member of the church. You have to go through several classes so that you, they can be sure that you understand what are the core doctrines so that they can kind of get to know you personally and fill you out. You have to meet with the elders so they can hear your testimony and really have some confidence that you are uh, really born again. You have to come in front of the church and kind of tell your story to the church and I saw one church where they did it that way and you would um, have to give a scripture uh, that this is your assurance that you are actually saved. I saw a whole family do this all the way down to small children. It was kind of an interesting thing to see, but they took it very seriously. You would have to sign a contract with all of these rules. Basically, these are things that I will do, things that I will not do as a member at this church. And so some churches are really over the top with their membership. Uh, that is the formal membership process. Now, I will say that this can be helpful in some ways. One, if a person is really willing to do all of that, what they're demonstrating is that they're really committed. They're really committed to this church and they're ready to sign on the dotted line and join in this thing. It can make people feel much more official. If you go through all of that and you, you come into the fold, you really have a sense of belonging. You've gone through the process. You've been embraced. That can be a good thing. 
it gives the pastors a better understanding of kind of where you're at spiritually because they've actually talked to every single person who is a professing member of the church and really heard their testimony and walked them through the core essentials of the faith. That's a good thing because pastors, we have to give an account for those people that, that we pastor and that we lead. And so I see the positive even in that. And it makes church discipline a, a little more effective, a little bit more effective, you know. Um, if somebody really gets out of line and the church has to address that and confront them spiritually and even remove them from the church, if you're really a formal member and you've gone through this process and you're known as such by the body, there's a little more weight to that when you're dealing with a church discipline issue and you may have to actually kick someone out of the church as opposed to them just saying, oh, well, I'll just hop on to the next church, which is what so often happens. So I see some good in this. Um, it can be harmful. Some churches have to report their membership monthly to the denominational office. And so that becomes a real issue for them. There's an expectation there that every month they're supposed to be sending more members, more, more names, more numbers. It becomes a numbers game. So churches will do things that, are, that could be even considered carnal just to get those memberships so they can report that to the, the denominational office. That's a trap that does happen. Membership numbers can often be very deceiving. People think, oh man, we got a thousand members at our church, but you really got 300 that are showing up consistently, you know. And that, that's a very real number. That, that happens. People will boast of the massive number of members, but in all actuality, it's a small fraction of people who are actually showing up and participating at the church. And people can be deceived. People can say, hey, I'm a member, but are you really? I mean, your name is on a letter in a filing cabinet, but are you really a member of that church? And so when someone goes through the, that whole process and they go through this formal initiation um, and then they just disappear and then you approach them, well, yeah, I'm a member at such and such church. But in reality, no, you're not. And so I'll just close with this. You know, Calvary Chapel does not have a formal process of membership. We never have. You know if you're a member here. You know if you're a member in this church. I hope you know. And I would just say here, here are a couple of things that I might look for uh, when we're talking about membership. Now let me just say this. If, if someone is not a member at a church, they're always still welcome to be there. Nobody would say if you're not a member here, then you can't come anymore. Okay, We want as many people to come as will come. Our desire is that you would be a member here. That you would really come all the way into the fold and be a part of the family in, in every way. That is the highest blessing of being a part of the church and being fully immersed in. And so I would say it looks something like this. One, consistent attendance. Are you here? Not just once every couple of months. Are you here when the doors are open? As often as you can be, unless you're out of town or sick or whatever. But are you here consistently? Are you here or are you here in every other church in Napa on some kind of a rotation? That is not good. That is not helpful to you. That is not helpful to them. You need to know where God has called you to be and be there. So consistently attending, not church hopping, not just showing up when the wind blows you in. Fellowship. Are you actually connected with people? Are you hanging out after the service? Do you come to the, the small groups when we have dinners and lunches and, and so on and so forth? Do you come to that? Because you can be real consistent in your attendance. I call it stealth church attendance. You're here and you're gone and nobody even knows it. And people do that. And that, again, it's not good for us. It's not good for you. All right? So fellowship do we know who you are do you know who we are how can we pray for you can we love you serve you serving the lord are you making a contribution by using your god-given gifts for the edification of this body because that's what the gifts spiritual gifts are for they're for edifying encouraging and building up the saints it, your gift is not for you you understand that your gift is for other people in this church so if you're not serving if you're not using your gift then the church suffers because of that. You know, my arm is attached to my body. It is certainly a member. But if my arm stopped working, then the rest of my body has to compensate for that. And so my body suffers as a result. The rest of my body has to do more just to take up the slack of the arm that doesn't work. And so if you're here, if you are attending, but you're not connected, fellowshipping, serving, the body suffers as a result of that. Think that through. And then lastly, I would say giving financially. You know, uh, I already talked about this, so I don't have to get into that again. But that is just to say I believe in what's happening here and I want to give. 
When I first moved here, I was working full-time on staff as a pastor, and I came out here with the intentions of getting a job. And I didn't know how I was going to... Uh, I didn't even have a job, but I knew I wasn't going to be on staff. Well, one of the things I really encouraged myself with was, hey, you know, and I'm, it was scary to step away from that. For the first time in my life, I was doing what I loved to do, and I had only been doing it for a year, and now I'm going to walk away from that and come out here and maybe end up at, uh, I mean, for all I knew, McDonald's or something, who knows what, you know. And, and I just really encouraged myself with the idea that, you know, it's going to be nice to be back in a place where I can actually just make a contribution to the church. I can work. I can give financially, I can invest, I can partner with the church in that way. They don't have to support me, I can help support them. And I did find joy in that. There's something that's just kind of cool about that. And so that is to say, I'm a, I am a member of this body, I want to help support what God is doing here, I want to give financially to that. So I just kind of look at those four things. Attendance, fellowship, serving, giving. You know, And if you're a member of this body uh, you know, we love you. We're grateful that you're here. We see what you're doing. We're thankful for that. If you're not, we want you to be. We want you to be. We want you to enter into the fullness of this joy. Amen? Amen. All right, so we'll stop there. I'll pray for us. Father, we love you and we, we thank you for these different things that we have considered today. I do pray that, um, that everybody in here was encouraged on some level that something here spoke to them. As I know it has for me, and so, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your kindness to your church. And we thank you for your blessing upon this, this assembly of believers here in Napa, this Calvary Chapel Church. And I pray that we would uh, bring you glory and honor in this place, in this town, and that uh, we would be everything that is in your heart, everything that you would desire for your church. May we be that, Lord, to the glory of your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.